leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouguet. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the greatest teams in NBA history. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of the recent talk has been about super teams and, you know, all-star players coming together and forming uh, all these great, you know, almost unfair teams, you know, with the NBA currently, you know, you've had uh, very recently, you've had um, the Miami Heat big three with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Uh, now you've got the collection that Houston has gained with Chris Paul and James Harden. Oklahoma City has put together uh, <laughs> Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. Of course, Golden State, their big four with Durant, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, there's a lot of these current teams that are building these um, col- this mass collection of talent. And that really made us think about, you know, how would these kind of teams now compare to some of the great teams of the past? And Anthony, uh, I'll start with you. Uh, When we talk about the greatest teams of all time, uh, what are some of the teams that that come to mind for you? Um, I think the the big three for me are some of my favorite players, really. Uh, The Michael Jordan, who's my favorite player with those, you know, early 90s or the 96 Bulls. Uh, 1987 Lakers with Magic Johnson and 1986 Celtics with Larry Bird are the first three that usually pop into my mind. So, yeah, the of course, yeah, the, the 96 Bulls going 72 and 10. Uh, you know, the second best record ever after mm-hmm. the the 2016 Warriors passed it by a single game. Yeah, going 73 and nine. That seemed like it was going to be one of those unbreakable records, mm-hmm. uh, but the Warriors somehow pulled it off. Uh, but nonetheless, winning 70 games plus in an 82-game season is is really impressive and so difficult to pull off. Uh, but you had a very motivated Michael Jordan coming off retirement and also losing in the 95, 90, or 94-95 season right. to the Orlando Magic, that young Shaq and Penny team. Right. Uh, so you had that motivation factor. You had... Um, you know, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen pretty close to their prime. Mm-hmm. Of course, you add Dennis Rodman to the mix, who's one of the greatest rebounders ever. Uh, you've got a decent bench with guys like Tony Kukoc and even Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, of course, that Bulls team is really great. The Celtics team you're referring to, 86 Celtics with Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, 
Bill Walton coming off the bench. I think he won the sixth man award that yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just had a dominant front court, the greatest front court of all time. I don't right. think there's really a discussion as far <laughs> as that's concerned. Right. Uh, and then the 87 Lakers, you know, with just their whole collection of talent with Matt, the Showtime Lakers with mm-hmm. Magic Johnson, uh, probably at his apex. Yeah. Uh, you've got Kareem, obviously older, but still a super effective offensive center. Yeah. James Worthy starting to hit his stride, as well as Byron Scott. And you also had Michael Cooper, who was a defensive right. player of the year that season. Uh, so you've got all of these really stacked basketball teams. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, so we're going to just, I'm going to quickly go through the list that we, uh, that we had here and, uh, name some of the teams that we're talking about. Of course, the 1960s Celtics with Bill Russell, of course, won 11 titles and from the late fifties to, I think the last title was the 68, 69 season. Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got the 67 Philadelphia 76ers, Wilt Chamberlain's uh, championship team there in Philadelphia. Yeah. That was his best season statistically. Uh, you've got the 71 Milwaukee Bucks with uh, Kareem or uh, Lou Alcindor at right. the time and Oscar and Robertson. Oscar Robertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got the, the 72 Lakers where Wilt and Jerry West combined and teamed up. Uh, then you've got into the 80s. Well, and there was a, there was a big gap there between the... Um, you know, those early 70s teams and the 80s teams in terms of not too many great teams because of the merger right. with the NBA and the ABA. Right. A lot, it was kind of split. A lot of the great players were either going to the ABA or the NBA. So, like, you know, for instance, Dr. J is out there balling it up in the ABA. And uh, by the time we're going to get to it on the list, but then that mid-80s Sixers team, when that merger, you know, has been complete and people have played together for a while. Yeah. Right, so essentially for the people that don't really uh, know too much about mm-hmm. the merger, uh, what essentially happened was in the 60s you had anywhere from 8 to 12 teams in the entire league. You know, So for those Boston Celtics teams to win titles, they only had to win two playoff rounds. You know, that's, right. <laughs> that's very strange if you think about it today. These teams have to win four seven-game series. You know, those yeah. Celtics teams, their playoff record was 8-2 and two and they won the title. Right. You know, you've got to do double that now. Uh, so that makes it a lot more difficult to win. And the reason, again, is the amount of teams in the league. There was only 8 to 12 in the 60s and even into the early 70s. Then um, then once you had the merger between the NBA and the ABA, of course, the ABA had a bunch of teams and they combined. Then all of a sudden, the talent pool was spread out over more teams. Right. So you didn't have a lot of those stacked, you know, stud teams. Uh, but then, you know, once the merger had been around for a while, I think the merger happened in the late se- mid yeah. to late 70s. Yep. Uh, once that had been around a while, then you saw, you started to see these stacked teams happen again. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the first one really uh, that, that took form was that fo-fo-fo <laughs> team, uh, the famous quote from uh, Moses, Moses Malone, Malone yeah. uh, on the 83. 80- 283 Philadelphia 76ers, that team with Moses Malone, Dr. J, they had Mo Cheeks at point guard. Andrew Tony was a guard that averaged about 19 a game. That mm. team was really fantastic and one of the uh, only teams to break through in that 80s run that was dominated by the Celtics and Lakers. Yeah, no, that was a tremendous team for sure. Was Duck Collins on that team as well? 
uh, coach of the the Bulls during Jordan's early days. I believe he may have, but he was, he was a uh, role on player. the downside <laughs> of his career at that point. Yeah, uh, He was actually a number one overall pick in the really? early 70s. He was a really good player. He played on that 72 Olympic team that oh. lost uh, in that controversial game where the referees gave the... Um, the Soviet Union extra time at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but he was a really good player. He was actually on, uh, one of the stars of the um, of the 77 Sixers team that lost oh. to the 77 Portland Trailblazers, who they're, they're a great team. They were a great team, but they didn't have a lot of high star power other than the likes of Bill Walton. That's right. That's right. I think I was thinking of the 70s team. But yeah, then you of course after the Sixers you had the you know the dominance of the Celtics and Lakers. Uh, they met in um, I believe three out of four NBA Finals, '84, '85, and '87. Uh, Celtics winning in '84 and '86, Lakers in '85 and '87, and even in '88 as well. Uh, and then you had a team like the the bad boy Detroit Pistons who came around in the mid to late 80s and really, uh, you know, had a lot of battles with the Celtics and Lakers, struggled to push through, but then finally did. And then when they finally pushed through, then they had, you know, those young Jordan teams right, right. on their heels. Exactly. Knocking at the door for, I want to say, like three years in a row with the Eastern Conference Finals going yeah, up and, against each other. And I believe every year the Bulls got an extra game off of the Pistons I right. think it was '88. They got they were beaten five. '89 they were beaten six, and in '90 they were beaten seven. Yeah. So you could see Jordan like getting closer and closer, especially as his supporting cast, the likes of Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant, uh, got better. That he was getting closer and closer, and then of course he broke through and won three straight <laughs> titles uh, with those early '90s Bulls teams. Um, so here's here's an interesting question for you, being you know the Jordan and Bulls expert. <laughs> Uh, um, what, uh, obviously I think the, the favorite choice and the, and the obvious choice for the casual fan would be to say that the 96 and 97 Bulls teams were clearly better, uh, because they won more regular season games. Right. Uh, but, um, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a little bit closer of an argument in terms of those early nineties teams. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think because of, I mean, you talk about the motivation factor, and whenever we're talking about a motivation factor with Michael Jordan, who's like one of the most psychotically competitive people I've ever heard of, um, I think any team he's on with that type of factor, it's going to be a big part of the conversation. The fact that they were always knocking on the door against that really uh, tremendous uh, bad boy Pistons teams, one of the best defensive teams I think ever put together, huge deep bench, um, I think the Bulls tried so many things to try and get past them and once they finally put it together they were a team that was a really against not just the pistons but a lot of different styles of teams defenses and offenses so like i think that's part of why we saw 91 92 93 them be able to you know three-peat with that uh, yeah yeah the uh that's the thing a lot of people don't really uh, focus on is because Sports are often looked at as a year-to-year -year thing. Uh, you think, oh, you don't think about the process. Yeah. You, know, you don't think about the years and years of team building and character building and all of those things that take place. Uh, the, the motivation factors of losing year in, year out to the same team. You know, the Pistons, again, had that 
issue with the Celtics and the Lakers right. where they felt like they were a great team and they were right on the verge, you know, the the 87 Pistons losing to the Celtics in that heartbreaking Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals where uh, Isaiah Thomas throws the ball in and, uh, you know... Um, Bird steals the Bird ball. steals it, yeah. got, gets it to DJ, and he lays it in. There's that famous it's call. A steal by Bird. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they had that in 87, and then in 88, the Pistons uh, lost in, a, in seven games to the Lakers. Where right. in game six, Isaiah Thomas sprains his ankle, scores 25 points still in the fourth quarter on a sprained ankle, <laughs> but they still come up just short. Right, and then, and then he has to sit out the next well, game. Well, he cool. tried playing, okay. and, you know, he was just not himself. You know, the he was able to push through with adrenaline in game six, but then after a couple days of that that ankle, you know, uh, it's yeah. swelling up and all of that, it made it really difficult. And But they still competed and were really close in game seven and barely lost. Yeah. You know, so those the Pistons teams had that where, you know, they're knocking on the door and then finally they break through and they're they were better for it. Yes. You know, because exactly. they were pushed to the limit, they became a better basketball team. And that's the same thing that happened with those nineties Bulls. Exactly. I think when you get to this level, like a little mistake like that with uh for instance that nineteen eighty uh eighty seven you were saying with Isaiah Thomas throwing the ball and bird picking it off that one mistake ends up with the the pistons yeah yeah, pistons not being able to go on and compete with the was it the lakers that year for championship Mm -hmm. um yeah it was with 87 and same thing with the bulls it's very possible that jordan who um one of the best individual talents that we've ever seen maybe the best individual talent um a lot of early on the criticism or criticisms of Jordan were that he didn't pass the ball enough and he didn't get his teammates involved. I think he was a good passer and did get people involved, but when in trouble, he did tend to just take put the whole team on his shoulders and go one on three and mm-hmm. try and just score the ball every time. Right. And what we saw against those Pistons teams every year is Jordan trying to do everything. And he puts up some crazy numbers. He's scoring like, you know, high 30s 40 points a game triple doubles and all these amazing spectacular plays but at the end of the uh series they still lose right and i think what we see in 91 um jordan's starting to learn that okay i do need to maybe take a step back get everyone involved and then at the end of the game i can take over if i need to i think that's best highlighted from 1991 where the bulls are getting into some trouble um, I think maybe late in the series against the Lakers and Phil Jackson's like, Hey, who's open? And Michael Jordan realizes, Oh wait, John Paxson's been open this entire time. Cause they're double and triple teaming me. Mm-hmm. He starts passing it. Paxson starts making all these shots. They end up winning the, the series. Right. Yeah. The, I'm glad you mentioned specifically Jordan because, you know, I mentioned that through the losses, the teams as a whole get better, but also the individuals, You know, with those bad boy Pistons, um, you know, they had the thing called the Jordan Rules, where uh, they basically said if Jordan ever comes towards the hoop, we're just going to hit him as hard as we can, you know, fatigue him, wear him out as much as we can, and... um, and it made him stop going to the basket quite as often as he normally would. Uh, And yeah, he just kind of wore down as the series progressed, You, you know... 
getting beat up for one or two games is one thing, but over the course of a six or seven game yeah. series, that's pretty physically exhausting. Uh, but you know, then you see in the off seasons, Jordan then getting in the gym and getting stronger. Right. You know, you see because of the specific opponents and the the challenges they present, the players then realize, okay, what's my weakness against this opponent? Let me right. improve it and. That's what makes these teams like ultimately really great. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, the '96 Bulls, of course, uh, we we mentioned they're motivated off of the loss in the the previous season. They win 72 games, win the title, uh, and then the following season they have nearly as good of a year. They win 69 games yeah. as opposed to the 72. <laughs> Still have a great playoff run. Uh, let's see. The 96 Bulls went 15 and 3 in the playoffs. 97 Bulls go 15 and 4. So right. pretty identical in terms of that. There's, you know, one extra loss in the playoffs and three less wins in the regular <laughs> season. Pretty similar. Um the thing that intrigues me, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, is the difference between a team that is hungry and still hasn't won yet right. versus the team that has won is the defending champion and has that confidence of being a champion. Which one do you think is better out of those two? That is a very interesting question. Uh, and I think um, we both read that in Bill Simmons's book, The Book of Basketball, mm-hmm. that idea of which one is better. Um, I think, yeah, a team that has won a championship, they know how to do it. And yeah. I think we've seen that throughout the years, that once a player has won a championship, they don't seem as anxious when they get to those you know, tough moments, those clutch situations. And there's like this, this calm that you see when they walk out on the court, like they're going to make the shot. They're going to make the big play. And a lot of times that's the difference between to go back to, you know, those early Pistons versus the Celtics, a young team that's like, we need to win. We're trying to win. They haven't won yet. Ends up making some dumb mistakes and the veteran team ends up winning because of that. Um, So on the other hand, there is that motivation. If you've never won before, there's that hump. I would probably say, that a team that has won it before might have an edge because, you know, there's just that confidence with coming with knowing I've won this before, I can win it again. Yeah, what I, do you think, though? I agree with that. Uh, and I think a, a prime example as we continue our list, like into the early 2000s uh, with the 2000-2001 Los Angeles Lakers, mm-hmm. they're the perfect example of a team coming off a championship being so much more dominant Right. Uh, you know, of course, that early 2000s Lakers teams had the Shaq and Kobe dynamic. You know, both of those guys um, pretty close to their prime. Kobe maybe slightly before his apex, but mm-hmm. still really good. Uh, but that 2000 Lakers team, their first title team, really struggled. Uh, right. In the first round, they were taken to five games by the Sacramento Kings. Uh, in the Western Conference Finals, they needed to come back from, I think, 18 to 20 down in the fourth quarter to beat the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then even in the finals, they won the finals in six games against the Pacers team with Reggie Miller and Jalen Rose and the Davis brothers. Yeah. Uh, but then that 2001 team, after having won the title... Uh, they go through the playoffs and go 15-1. and one. Yeah. Uh, and the only loss was to the Sixers with Allen Iverson going crazy in that game one, uh, that famous video where he hits that step back over <laughs> Tyron Lue, the current Cavs coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that 
that really showed to me that this team, even though they had a lot of the same players, was such a better basketball team because of that confidence factor. Exactly. I think the psychological component to it is is huge and probably doesn't get talked enough uh talked about enough in sports right um you know you you can compare on paper you know talent to talent but a lot of it comes down to the mentality whether that's chemistry whether that's um yeah motivation whether that's confidence all of those things are are as you said such a huge factor um moving into the mid mid 2000s really uh there weren't a lot of great teams in that era i don't think yeah. um of course you had the 2004 pistons that ended up uh winning in 04 but then losing in game 7 of the finals in 05 to the right. spurs uh that team didn't really have like top tier talent, but it was pretty good defensively, you know, with Chauncey Billups, Richard Hamilton, Ben Wallace, and Rasheed Wallace. It was a, just a good balanced team. Yeah. Uh, and then you had those mid 2000 Spurs. The Spurs won in 03, 05, and 07. Uh, I would say the 07 Spurs was probably the best yeah. uh, group there because there. you had Tony Parker and Ginobili were pretty young in that. 2003 championship team uh they had developed into pretty solid players at that point they ended up sweeping the the Cavs when lebron made his first finals appearance mm-hmm. uh, but but really um it, it wasn't until more recently that we got to see some more um some more great teams uh the 2013 miami heat you know of course the infamous big three uh, with Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Chris Bosh. The 2013 team, to me, was the best because that had the team with the 20-plus game win streak during the regular season. Uh, they added Ray Allen that year, uh, you know, one of the greatest shooters of all time, uh, to come off the bench. You know, <laughs> you had Shane Battier off the bench as well. That was just a really solid basketball team. Uh, and then, you know, those Spurs teams, of course, the – that 2013 Heat team just barely escaped beating the Spurs, and right. I don't think that was because the Heat were weak. I think no. that was because that that team that lost that Spurs <laughs> team was really good as well. Yeah, uh, and and they didn't have a lot of top tier talent, but that to me was the epitome of how basketball was played at a perfect level with great coaching, uh, with five guys all on the floor that are threats on on both ends. Uh, and they just played a beautiful brand of basketball. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, these last three years with the Warriors and even the Cavs, even though the Cavs have only won one title uh, out of the last three years, uh, they've been a great team. And obviously the most recent Warriors are stacked as well. Yeah, the the most recent Warriors is kind of unfair, I feel like, which is part of why we're seeing this huge shakeup with, you know, great players being shipped around and all these super teams, as you said before, are kind of being formed to just try and compete with them. Um, but yeah, all with, like you said, the last three years have been incredible finals. Some of the best basketball I think I've ever seen. And both of us have watched a lot of basketball. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, the Warriors 2016 team that won 73 games in the regular season. And I think, uh, you know, even though they lost in the finals to the Cavs in seven, that was a team that was not playing at full strength in that finals. Steph Curry went down right. uh, in the set in the uh, in the first round with an MCL sprain. Which even when you come back from that, if you come back in two weeks, you're not going to be 
fully back. Yeah. Uh, and then you had, in the finals, you not only had Draymond Green get suspended in Game 5, of course, he was an idiot for doing <laughs> what he did. But, right. Uh, you know, not having him out there in Game 5, a crucial game, a closeout game at home, was, was really important, really key in them losing that game. And then, of course, Andrew Bogut, their center, goes down. Uh, in game five, yeah. you know, so uh, that uh, that Warriors team, I think, was still pretty great. And oh, yeah. I think, theoretically, if Green had played in that game five, would have beaten the Cavs in five, uh, playing game five at home. And then you're talking about a 73-win team <laughs> that won the finals against a good Cavs team in five games. Yeah. Uh, they would be considered one of the greatest ever. And then... You factor in that that team basically just replaced Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant yeah. for this year. And they did end up beating the Cavs in five games, won 67 in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that 67 sounds bad compared <laughs> to 73, but um, you know, winning six, even winning 60 games is a, is a great accomplishment in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, so this current Warriors team, if you ask me... Um, is the greatest team of all time, just talent-wise, mm. because one through four on the, in their starting lineup are all all-star caliber players, and then you've also got two superstars in Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. It's right. really hard to top that. Uh, it, it's really hard to look at any <laughs> roster in the history of the league and say that they can have two top five guys and two other all-stars on their roster. Yeah, it it is. <laughs> I'm like going through my mind, like through the list, like trying to think of like counters to that. But no, you're right. Like it is uh, with their entire roster matchup wise, it's a nightmare. Even the best uh, defensive teams are going to have a hard time matching up against all of the talent that they have there and how like big some of the players are like physically like Kevin Durant is like a seven footer yep. but can shoot like the entire length of the floor. <laughs> he plays like a guard. Yeah. yeah. And when you've got so many elite shooters that are also good defenders out there, so you don't have any liabilities on defense and you sp spread the floor so much on offense. I mean, you're screwed <laughs> yep. out there defensively. Um, yeah. It is essentially like I'm, I'm thinking with the 73, Warriors and then adding a top player like what would be the equivalent with like that 72 Bulls and then 72 like 72 win Bulls yeah team. and then adding one of the best other forwards out there or <laughs> yeah. you know like you throw another top player because I mean what Kevin Durant was one of the best players in the league like hands yes. down and mm -hmm. was you know last year when he added on the team so what would be an equivalent like adding Hakeem Olajuwon and throwing See, <laughs> that might the, be a little The difference too big. is, is Hakeem Olajuwon was a little bit older. Okay. Uh, whereas Kevin Durant is right in the middle of his prime. He's still in his twenties. So to me, the '96 Bulls adding someone say like, um, let's say they added Gary Payton. Yeah. Right. You replace <laughs> you Ron know, Harper with Gary Payton. And and even that I think is a little bit underestimating like Kevin How Durant great. because <laughs> Kevin Durant is a top five player. Gary Payton may have been top ten at that time. Right. But probably not top five. Um trying yeah. to think a, a top I mean, you look at like a Shaq. The Shaq. Adding yeah. Shaq, who was probably yeah, I yeah. would say was a top five player at that stage for the ninety seven Bulls. Yeah. It would be a similar, you know, sort of thing, talent-wise and at an age where, 
you know, you're not just looking at the current, you're looking at the future timetable as well. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, we're going to get to it on this list with this kind of newer concept of super teams. And I think that, what is it, the 08 Celtics might be yep. one of the first where we're seeing players kind of elect on their own to come together. Well, actually, okay. um, actually with the 08 Celtics, it was Danny Ainge made trades oh. to acquire the likes of Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. That's right. Um, so the, it's interesting you mentioned that, though, the, the idea of players choosing to play together. Um, most of uh, the history of the NBA, it's been with super teams, it's been the GMs just did a really good job to acquire the talent. For instance, those 80s Celtics teams, they made a trade. I think they traded the um, uh, number one overall pick in a draft, and they got Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish in the same <laughs> trade. Jeez. You know, So you add two of your top four or five guys on your roster in one trade. You know, the Lakers, uh, they made a couple of trades – one of them was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and their owner, Ted Stepien, at the time, uh, was such an incompetent owner that they made a rule called the Stepien Rule that prevented teams from trading draft first-round draft picks in back-to-back seasons because he kept making these stupid trades oh, wow. and just throwing away draft picks. <laughs> and so the Lakers ended up getting, through trades, I believe, they acquired James Worthy and then also Magic Johnson. Oh the the draft picks to to draft those guys. Uh, so, you know, they they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then through other owners' incompetence, they were able to uh, acquire Magic and, and Worthy. Yeah. So, um, and Danny Ainge, he had a, a collection of young talent, and Al Jefferson was one of the guys he used to, in the trade package to get KG, I believe. Um, but he had uh, some young talent and also had Paul Pierce and then was able to turn that young talent into Ray Allen and, and uh, Kevin Garnett. Right. Uh, but then looking at more recently with LeBron's decision uh, and, of course, Chris Bosh to join Miami Heat, yeah. the Miami Heat, and then you have Kevin Durant um, choosing to join uh, the, uh, the Golden State Warriors, you've got players um, – creating these super teams. Free agency has become so much more of a factor now that yeah. these guys are are doing it on their own. And I think a big part of that is, and we talked about uh, that in our last episode, about the idea that with social media and players being criticized about winning championships, they want to ensure that they're not in that category of the Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, and John Stockton of not having a title after their career's done. Exactly. We And we talked about the last time um, the idea of, like, team loyalty is definitely mm-hmm. a thing that has, uh, you know, changed over the years. And as I'm thinking about it, you brought up Carl Malone. Like, typically what we would see if a player were to jump the, the ship and, and move to a different team, it's at the end of their career – where their skills have started to fade and they're, you know, just trying to get a ring like Carl Malone and Gary Payton jumping on the right like you know, it was Lakers. referred to as ring chasing. Yeah. And but that term was you this guy 38, he's got one or two years exactly. left. You yeah, know, as opposed to guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant who are making these just ring in chasing decisions in their prime. Yeah. Um yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to think about that but uh you know, you look at 
uh, how good the war this Warriors team is, and you as you mentioned, not only do you have all these elite shooters, but they're also very good defensively. You know, it's it's one thing to have, for instance, let's say you put together a team of Steve Nash and yeah. Kyle Korver and Kevin Love. You know, you've got these great offensive players that can really shoot the basketball. But their liabilities defensively. Right. You know, that's what's so amazing about this Warriors team is not only do you have, I mean, they have the, the first, second, and maybe third best shooters in the game. Yeah. With Curry, Thompson, and Durant. <laughs> and Durant. And the crazy part is they're all good defensively. Curry right. being the one that I think he's above average. I don't think Curry is a great defensive player. I think a lot of people um, undervalue his defensive impact. I think he's good. He's just a little small, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be, cause problems. It caused problems at times in those matchups with the Cavs because you switch on to LeBron, but everybody struggles guarding LeBron. Right. Uh, <laughs> Even people his own size struggle. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but the fact that you have all those guys that can play great defensively as well as be, uh, you know, huge threats on the offensive end of the floor shooting the basketball is what makes them so special. And I think that sort of um, puts them in a different class than even like those night that 96 Bulls team because you look at a guy like Dennis Rodman, as good of a rebounder and defensive yeah. player as he was, he was a liability offensively. You know, he, for his career average, I believe less than five points a game, he was yeah. not an offensive player. Defenses didn't have to pay much attention to him, uh, whereas there's not too many guys, you know, on the Warriors when they put out their death lineup <laughs> with Draymond Green at center, um, Kevin Durant at power forward, Andre Iguodala at small forward, Clay Thompson at shooting guard, and Curry at point guard. Yeah. There is nobody that's a liability on either end of the floor. Yeah, it's it is unreal. Um, yeah, and in my mind, like as a, a defensive player, like I can't think of how I would try and match up with them. You know, it, it is it's crazy. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it'd be fun to kind of go into. You know, you talked about your um, the top three on your list were you said the ninety six or ninety six or seven Bulls. Yeah. Um, the 86 Celtics and the 87 Lakers. So I'm going to pick three different teams. Okay. And uh, we're going to match these teams up, and we'll both kind of, uh, um, you know, go back and forth and say, like, why we think our team is better. Okay. Uh, So I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to pick the Warriors of Mm -hmm. the 2017 Warriors. I'm also going to go with the, uh, I'm going to talk about the, um, the 89 Detroit Pistons is okay. going to be one of mine. And then also uh, I'm going to go with, let's say, the um, the 2013 Miami Heat. Mm. I'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's start with uh, your top one of the Bulls, right? The 96 Bulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go... 17 Warriors versus 96 Bulls. Look at the, some of the matchups and and uh, let's break it down a little bit. So, um, if you're the Bulls and let's say you're the Bulls coach, right, and you have to go up against your Phil Jackson. Yeah, cool, and, and done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for some reason, you have Steve Kerr both on your team and as the head coach of the opponent. It's very strange, right? Uh, but we just have to accept that. <laughs> um, yeah. 
and that's not going to affect you know the player. They're not. It's not going to be a space time continuum thing. Right. But... And let's just assume that their um, Steve Kerr doesn't know like um, the tendencies, the tendencies of, of his younger of his, self. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Uh, so, what are first off? Let's say. Um, what are going to be some things matchup-wise that you're going to do to try to slow down the Warriors? Wow. Yeah. Like I said, this matchup thing is crazy. I would say you probably put... Because you've, you've got two elite perimeter defenders right. in Jordan and Pippen. And, and an elite low post, like inside defender uh, with Dennis Rodman, who, who can you know, defend decently against other forwards and, and some smaller players. I wouldn't want to put him regularly on like a point guard and definitely not against the likes of a Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, with, with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, I would probably put Jordan on Curry um, to try and see if I can slow him down at all and put some pressure on him. Which he, he could. I oh mean, yeah. Jordan, uh, you know, Again, last episode we talked about, we both agree he's the greatest player ever. It's not just because he's this amazing scorer. He was a terrific defensive player. He was committed on that end. And I would say, even though 96 wasn't his best athletic year, he was still a really good athlete. Oh, and yeah. he was capable of defending one through three or even four. In terms of lateral quickness, like on the defensive side, it is unreal to see him when he really sets his mind into like i'm gonna lock this guy down mm-hmm. um i'm not saying that he would stop steph curry every time because that's that's unrealistic steph yeah. curry's incredible with his ball handling um but i do think jordan would be able to pester him a little bit and you know um hopefully bother him but with a shooter as great as steph curry and with all the screens he's being he's going to be going off of to get his shot open um i mean you could just do a pick and roll and then whoever was guarding that, you know, picker is going to have to guard Curry. But uh, to just stick with my side on the the bull side, I'd put Jordan on Curry. I'd probably put Pippen on uh, Durant because Durant would be the other biggest um, threat, I would say, offensively. Mm -hmm. Um, Pippen, another one of the best perimeter defenders, not quite as tall or as long as Durant, but super fast, super quick, would – hopefully be able to, you know, just put some speed, you know, speed bumps in the way of these guys. Right. But, uh, and then I would guess I would put Ron Harper on Thompson and I might switch back and forth. If Jordan's getting tired, maybe switch, have Ron Harper play on Curry and then it sounds weird, but have Michael try and rest a little bit guarding Clay Thompson. Yeah. Which, I mean, he does do a lot of standing, uh, right, even though the Warriors up. offense in general has a lot of ball movement. He would be out of out of all the players on the floor, probably the, the guy you would say does the least in terms of his activity. Yeah. Now, which lineup are we talking about with uh, are we talking starting lineups? So let's do Warriors? starting lineups and assume that they're playing a traditional center. Okay. Uh, with Zaza starting at okay. least at first. Then yeah, if they're doing that, then you would have uh, I would assume their normal starter Luke Longley out there um, who I think was an exceptionally average center. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> how I would describe all of the centers Bill Wennington and uh, like they could do most things on the floor in terms of like shoot and pass, but they weren't great at anything. 
mm-hmm. and they weren't even particularly that, you know, like I wouldn't want Luke Longley to take my game winning shot or, you know, dribble the ball up the court or anything. So I'd be a little scared with that matchup. Right. Um, and then Dennis Rodman, um, I guess who is left um, on the floor. Uh, in terms of matchups with the Warriors, so we got oh, Curry, Draymond Green, Draymond would be Green, the other Warrior. I would probably end up putting, yeah, Rodman on on Green, and uh, hoping for the best. Yeah. <laughs> what um, about you? Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty solid strategy. Um, you're basically matching up position for position, except putting Michael, the shooting guard, onto the point guard, Steph Curry. Right. Um, but other than that, you're matching up pretty much, uh, you know, how I would do it. Um, the the thing that, uh, you know, really made the Warriors struggle in 2016 uh, when they lost to the Cavs and were also pushed to seven games by the Oklahoma City Thunder was when the Thunder put Kevin Durant on Draymond Green hmm. and the Cavs put LeBron on Green because one of the Warriors' pet plays was that Curry-Green pick-and-roll. Hmm. And when you had those guys on there, you could switch that. Right. Um, the good thing about Rodman is he would be capable of switching that and at least somewhat holding yeah. his own against a Steph Curry, and even though that would be a challenge. Right. Um, I think but, a younger Dennis Rodman maybe would have had more uh, success because, like, young Dennis, when he was on that 80s, uh, what are we talking about, the late 80s Pistons teams, uh, there were times where he would be matched up against Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and would be pestering him. Jordan yeah. could still get a shot off, but, um, like, you can watch clips on YouTube of Rodman blocking Jordan's shot and then Jordan immediately blocking his shots because yeah. it's Michael Jordan. I mean, late 80s Dennis Rodman was, and early 90s, was the best defender at basketball in my eyes. Right. I mean, he like, not just, and... yeah, he could not just hold his own against Jordan. He was one of the better defenders to put on Jordan, right. you know, um, and because of his length and his athleticism and all of that. Uh, but it's interesting, like, uh, you know, the Cavs really struggled in these past finals because they only had one LeBron James. Uh, <laughs> and he could only guard one of Kevin Durant or Draymond Green. Right. So whoever was not guarding, or whoever was guarding <laughs> the other guy got abused at times. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing about that Bulls team is you've got so many good defenders with Jordan and Pippen and Rodman, uh, that they can they can match up with a Curry and a Durant and a Green and and put good defensive matchups on all of those guys. Yeah, I, I think the the problem with the Bulls matchup wise is when you look at the bench because mm-hmm. not only do the Warriors have an amazing you know starting five, but their bench also has a lot of players that can spread the floor and defend and. With the Bulls, they had role players that could complement Jordan and Pippen in them, but they, uh, I think Rodman would have to come out at some point. Pippen and Jordan usually played a lot of minutes. Yeah, you know, and that's forty plus. Forty plus, and I, I wouldn't be surprised in this matchup if throughout similar the similar to what LeBron has done in the last few finals. Exactly, like just one of them, Jordan or Pippen, would be on the floor at all times. But I think. Once Rodman comes off the floor, we're going to see that kind of we're going to bully whoever's guarding either Durant or, or Draymond. So. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the bench because 
Um, I think one of the issues that showed that the Cavs were not on the Warriors' level this past season is that the Warriors never had to go to their death lineup to beat the Cavs this past mm. year. They rarely had to put Draymond Green at center, Durant at power forward, Iguodala at small forward, Thompson at shooting guard, and Curry at point guard. That lineup didn't play a lot of minutes, and that, to me, if their back is against the wall, that's the lineup they're going to. So yeah. if you can't even, the Cavs couldn't even force that. That, to me, shows you how far away they were. Right. As a team, even though I thought the Cavs were an excellent basketball team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we started this Bulls versus Warriors discussion talking about the starting lineups. But let's talk about if these teams back, let's say it's a game seven, and mm -hmm. these teams both have their backs up against the wall, and the Warriors say, you know what, we're starting green at center. We're starting that death lineup. Uh, yeah. Do you think the Bulls can match that with their bench? No, <laughs> they they would be closer than maybe any of the other teams on this list. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe other than like the the Pistons, but the Pistons, the Pistons were very deep. Yeah, the I'm not sure offensively. Well, yeah, maybe the Pistons would be a, a good matchup for that. But if we're sticking with the Bulls, um, and we're talking about the late '80s Pistons, there. Yeah. Um, I would assume that Dennis Rodman would be the um the center, um, which did happen at times. The, mm -hmm. the bulls sometimes would go with the lineup where Dennis Rodman is the center. Uh, Tony Kukoc would come in as like their power forward, um, and be more of a spreading the floor. He would be spotting up. He wouldn't be playing down inside. Right. Um, and then Scotty Pippen as you know, small forward Jordan at the two and then either Steve Kerr or Ron Harper. So I would imagine it would be either, Rodman, Kukoc, Pippen, Jordan, um, Harper, or you would go without Kukoc in there. It would be Rodman, Pippen, Jordan at the small forward, uh, Harper at the two, and then Steve Kerr at the one. Mm -hmm. uh, either way, though, Kukoc or Kerr are going to be liabilities on the defensive end. Right, and that's that's the big thing to me when they bring in when the Warriors bring in Iguodala. Uh, especially these the past couple seasons version of Andre Iguodala. He is not a liability on either end of the floor. He's a very capable player on both ends. Yeah. Uh, so um, in a league where with five players, it a lot of times comes down to who's your weakest link, I think the Warriors have an advantage just about over every team in the league. Uh, but um, you do make a good point. Like if they bring in Kukoc and put him at the four, he certainly is an upgrade in terms of moving his feet over a long way. Oh yeah, you know. So <laughs> uh, and he helps them offensively in terms of his spreading the floor. Yeah, he's about uh, and he's like a six eleven. I want to say. Yeah, so he's long, even yeah. though he's not laterally quick. Mm -hmm. uh, but that lineup is about as good as you can throw out there. Uh, you know, if you had a more athletic version of Tony Kukoc, yeah. that would be about as great of a, especially in terms of defensively, yeah. a lineup that you could throw at that Warriors death lineup. Uh, and of course, offensively, if you're looking at Chicago, you know, having Michael Jordan, one of the probably the greatest scorer of all time. Plus, you've got uh, Scottie Pippen, who was great with mismatch basketball. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, you had some shooters in Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc. Uh, it would be a really interesting series. I personally think the Warriors would probably come off, come out on top, uh, but it would certainly be very close. Yeah. 
Um, so let's go to a let's go to let's do another matchup. Okay. I thought that was pretty fun and yeah. interesting to do. Uh, so your next one would probably be what the '86 Celtics. Sure, let's go with that. Okay, so let's do the '86 Celtics versus the uh, let's do versus the '89 Pistons. Mm. So I'll be the Pistons, okay. you be the the Celtics. Mm. Uh, so. Um, from the the Celtics vantage point, what would be a couple of the things that when you look at the '89 Detroit Pistons that would concern you as a coach of the of the Celtics? Well, just for one, getting beat up all the time <laughs> playing against them. But yeah. uh, for the Celtics' credit, they were a very physically tough and mentally tough team that beat up people too. I want to say, was it the '84 Finals against the the Los Angeles Lakers? Um, I think where they, McHale clotheslined uh, uh, Kurt Rambis. Right, and I think one of the the qualities of that Celtics team, just as an all around great team, is that they could play with I think any style uh, that you throw out at them. Mm-hmm. Right, with either a Lakers running the uh, the floor all the time or a more physical Pistons team. But I would say the physicality of the the Pistons and just the depth, like they could. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit more with the personnel on the Pistons, that they could throw almost like two different units out there, oh, hockey yeah. style, and uh, to go at you. Right. So uh, if I remember correctly, the starting lineup of the Pistons included, of that Pistons team included Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, uh, Mark Aguirre, mm-hmm. Bill Lambeer, and Rick Mahorn. Right, right, right. So they had... Uh, you know, they, they started abnormally big, <laughs> uh, but they had Rodman off the bench. They had Vinnie Johnson hmm. off the bench. Microwave. Yep, the microwave. <laughs> uh, and uh, John Sally was another. They just were loaded with big men. John Sally was a solid, <laughs> solid big man, and he was like their fourth or fifth big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and... There's probably a couple other guys that I'm not thinking about, but they were they were a very deep and uh, talented basketball team uh, that could do a lot of things. They could go a little bit smaller and move, you know, Rick Mahorn to the bench, put Lambeer at the five. He could stretch the floor, hit threes, and Rodman at the four, you know, to bring that athleticism. Uh, or you could even move Mark Aguirre down to the four. Right. And play three guards with Isaiah Thomas, Dumars, and Vinnie Johnson. Uh, so they could go small. They started big. Uh, they could play in a, in a variety of ways. But yeah. most importantly, uh, you know, if they got in foul trouble or if they dealt with an injury, they had plenty of quality depth uh, that, that, that uh, for 48 minutes they kept, you know, pushing at you and uh, exactly. playing physical basketball and playing at – a hundred percent intensity the entire the entire game right and uh so i would be very concerned with that uh i'd also you know you got to be concerned with an isaiah thomas who's one of the greatest point guards of all time and i guess it probably should be said with this matchup that you know mid 80s the celtics and the pistons were going head to head yes but like we said before because the the pistons had learned so much from the Celtics, they were able to eventually break through, and because of injuries to the Celtics, the Celtics weren't able to compete as much anymore, mm-hmm. and so that's why we kind of see this difference in uh, 
and not seeing the Celtics competing into the late 80s. But, right, uh, and you also had with the Pistons, they had Adrian Dantley around for a lot of the time in the mid-80s, and he was a really talented, great player. I think he averaged over 20 points a game for his career. But he was a guy that I think didn't really help with the chemistry of that basketball team. Uh, he was very much a kind of a selfish shoot-first I need a certain amount of touches to be content type of player. Right. Uh, and then they were able to trade him for a guy like Mark Aguirre, who was equally talented, I think, from a scoring perspective. He was great on those uh, mid to late 80s Dallas Mavericks basketball teams that I think made a conference finals against the Lakers one of those years. Uh, but he was also a guy that I think was friends with Isaiah Thomas, wasn't as much of a diva, <laughs> and uh, really helped... Once they traded for him, I think it all clicked in terms of that basketball team not only being, uh, you know, great defensively, have great depth, but also uh, be a team that shared the basketball, a team that, uh, you know, was willing to do whatever it took on both ends of the floor yeah. uh, to win. Exactly. Yeah, I think this would be a really great matchup because everything that you're saying with the personnel and uh, motivation psych, uh, psychologically there's that confidence of having won a championship before if we're talking about the 89 team um, which was a huge hurdle before what are your thoughts matchup wise against you know uh, this 86 Celtics team though because you've got one of the greatest players of all time with Larry Bird um, I would say the best front line of all time with, you know, with Bird, McHale, Parrish, and then Bill Walton, a Hall of Famer, right. coming off of the bench. Yeah. Um, and I, I've heard described as one of the greatest passing teams um, mm -hmm. that's ever played. Uh, what are your thoughts that matchup was? Right, I guess uh, as far as guys like Parrish and Walton and McHale, that isn't as big of a concern because of how much depth and quality I have at the big man spots. Mm -hmm. You know, Mahorn is one of the strongest, most physical defenders in the league. He can handle his own, at least on the defensive end, right. uh, against the likes of Parrish and McHale. Of course, Rodman, a terrific defender. Uh, John Sally. Uh, my, my biggest concern, well, a couple of things. First would be uh, the idea of who do I match up against Bird. Right. Uh, you know, if you put Rodman on Bird, um, you're potentially putting a weaker defender than on either McHale or Parrish. Right. Uh, but if you don't put Rodman on Bird, I don't know if there's really anybody on the roster. Aguirre, I don't, you know, was an okay defender, but I think he made his name offensively. Yeah. He wasn't really that great um, on that end. And other than that, you didn't really have a lot of wings with size. You know, Dumars and Vinnie Johnson were a little bit smaller, probably couldn't handle Larry Bird down he low. Would, yeah, he'd be posting up yeah. all day. And mm -hmm. uh, so obviously, well, and, you know, it's, I guess it's a pretty obvious statement that I would be scared of Larry Bird. I think everybody <laughs> was. Right. Um, but then uh, also the um, keeping up offensively. Mm. Uh, would be one of my concerns okay. uh, because the Celtics, as you mentioned, great passing team. You've got a lot of different post-up options so they can find whatever matchup works for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas the Pistons, they made their name defensively. If they couldn't get the normal stops they get um, against that 86 Celtics team, they'd have to make up for that on the offensive end. 
and sometimes that would be a struggle, even though, you know, I think they're an underrated offensive team as well because yeah. their guard play is really good <laughs> offensively, and Isaiah Thomas was capable, uh, was more than capable of putting up big numbers if his team needed him to do so. Yeah. Um, but it certainly would be a really interesting matchup, and they did end up, playing each other it's not as much we're not talking as much of a what if as like the yeah. 17 warriors versus the 96 bulls it's more just the elite versions of those two teams exactly. and unfortunately in in real life we don't get to see the elite versions battle it out exactly exactly um so let's let's do uh let's do one more and mm-hmm. then we'll uh um we'll just do a quick wrap up um do you have another team on this list that uh, intrigues you in terms of wanting to um, play a what if sort of matchup game? Um, like I said before, the the '87 Lakers is definitely one of my favorites, but is, is yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, let's do the. How about you do the '87 Lakers? Okay. And uh, how about I do the? Um, let's do. The, I'll do the 2013 Miami mm. Heat. So Ooh, okay, uh, this will be interesting. Uh, obviously, two drastic uh, differences in style. Uh, yeah. For one, because the Miami Heat were you know kind of leading the small ball revolution in the NBA, uh, where they were putting a uh, you know in the in the 1980s, Chris Bosh might have even been considered a small forward, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, for the 2013 Heat at that time in the NBA. Despite his lack of strength and him only being, uh, you know, six ten maybe or even six nine, uh, he was the center of those Miami Heat uh, basketball right. teams. Uh, whereas the '87 Lakers have Kareem, <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar down inside. Yeah, it is a very drastically different style for sure. So, uh, as far as you know, if I'm from the standpoint of the head coach of the Miami Heat at that time, Eric Spolstra, I'm thinking about uh, um, how do I get the best of Pat Riley and this Lakers Showtime team. Uh, one of the things that really concerns me, of course, is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, because uh, in that 2013 finals, Chris Bosh struggled defending on the post Tim Duncan, an aging Tim Duncan. Yeah. Duncan scored 25 in that game six of the 2013 finals where the Heat had to have that miraculous comeback to even pull out that game and then force a game seven, which they later won. Uh, But Bosh certainly, uh, again, because he was playing undersized, his post-up defense, especially against the you know, typical centers was a struggle for him. Yeah. And it certainly would be a struggle against the greatest offensive scoring <laughs> center of all time in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Uh, I, and it's not, I, I'm always wanting to bring up the skyhook whenever we talk about Kareem, but Kareem was so much more than just a skyhook. He had other moves. He was, uh, I want to say like a seven, two center. So, I mean, mm-hmm. just size wise, even bigger than uh, than a Tim Duncan, that right. might be an interesting comparison. An aging uh, Tim Duncan versus a you know mid to late '80s Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, but yeah, I think Kareem's gonna get the best of that matchup, and because he is you know usually one of their first options with this '87 Lakers team, they're gonna be exploiting that no matter who's on you know, Kareem, right. they're going to force you to double-team and then make them beat you another way. Well, and one of the things that was one of the strengths, especially defensively, of the Heat team in, 20, in that 
you know, big three run was their ability because you're playing, you know, I talked about Chris Bosch's weakness in terms of uh, guarding, you know, post-up centers. At the same time, his strength would be, as a center, his ability mm. to get out and move his feet right. and get out on the perimeter. So every time a screen was set, the Heat would oftentimes trap that and play that frantic style because they've, with LeBron and Wade, you've got these freak athletes that can cover so much ground. Right. Uh, so that would be one strategy I would employ would be to double Kareem any chance I got right. and scramble around. But... The Lakers have shooters in Byron Scott, and Michael Cooper was a good shooter. Magic Johnson, a pretty good shooter. Uh, and then James Worthy, even though he wasn't the greatest of shooters, he could attack you off the dribble exactly. and finish. Uh, so uh, I feel like defensively, even that doubling strategy would be a challenge uh, against that 87 Lakers team. Yeah, no, it, it would be. Um, but you bring up a really good point with spreading the floor that uh, you know with Kareem having to play out on the perimeter as opposed to guarding the rim. If he's out there, you know, trying to stay in front of, uh, you know, Chris Bosh and, you know, block those shots out there, that's leaving a huge opportunity for the likes of Dwayne Wade and LeBron, Dr- LeBron James, right. who's still in his prime athletically mm-hmm. to just, you know, yeah. Well, well, yeah, it would definitely, I feel like, be a high-scoring series. I yeah. think both defenses would struggle hmm. uh, because – Again, with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, there's only one Michael Cooper. You know, <laughs> uh, he can only guard one of them, and I think he'd be too slight to defend a guy like LeBron James. I think he would be a really good matchup for Dwayne Wade to try and slow him mm. down, and maybe the Lakers' strategy would be something to the effect of, if LeBron James scores 50 but we win, who cares, <laughs> you know? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe, actually. Uh because I'm not really sure what else you can do out there. I mean, it should be said, um, LeBron James is undoubtedly one of the best athletes we've ever seen mm-hmm. in the NBA, and you couple that with his all-around skill. He's also one of the most skilled players that we've ever seen in the NBA. So matchup-wise, it'd be a nightmare, um, where maybe in the 80s you have a person that maybe is close to his athleticism you know uh take like a dominique wilkins or someone who's freak athlete and can attack the rim but he's not a three-point threat like lebron was Mm -hmm. you know like and isn't handling the ball and passing and setting everyone up like lebron is um lebron gets a lot of comparisons with magic johnson as another six eight you know very or six nine very tall person who's one of the greatest passers we've ever seen it's a matchup nightmare yeah um so let's do the same thing we did with that first matchup okay. uh, with the, um, where we talked about backs up against the wall. What's your best lineup to go against the other team? And I'll start okay. by saying that uh, I think the likes of Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole, who played point guard for those Heat teams, uh, would not be out there for hmm. me because of the uniqueness of Magic Johnson. Right. Uh, and considering he beat up guys that were smaller than him, I would put LeBron on Magic Johnson. Yeah. And I would bring Ray Allen into the lineup and put LeBron essentially at the one, Mm -hmm. Ray Allen at the two, Dwayne Wade at the three, Shane Battier at the four, and Chris Bosh at the five. So Battier would guard Worthy. Yeah. 
Well, assuming you're going with the Lakers yeah. typical lineup yeah, yeah. of Johnson, Scott, Cooper, Worthy, and Kareem. Yeah. Uh, you'd put Bosh on Kareem. Obviously, that'd be a challenge. You'd have to double. Uh, you'd put Battier on Worthy, so at least you match up size-wise there. Um, you sacrifice a little height with Wade against uh, against Cooper, but he was more of a spot-up shooter, so right. that isn't really that much of a concern. Uh, then you've got Ray Allen versus Byron Scott and LeBron up against Magic. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's. I think you're right. I think that is probably the best matchup that you're going to get with that, um, and it's good. Like it's. I think. Like you said, it's going to be a high-scoring match no matter what because mm-hmm. uh, of the just offensive talent that is out there on the floor. But, you know, on top of all the other things that LeBron's great at, he's also a, a great defender as well. Right. So that that's the, the difference to me is that matchup between LeBron and Magic. As great as Magic is, I feel like LeBron takes away a lot of his advantages on the offensive end. Right. And then defensively, Magic can't keep up with LeBron. No, and so what I would probably, what I would assume, because uh, Magic had a huge problem guarding anyone, like, usually smaller guards that are quicker than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was usually a kind of a liability on the defensive end, um, but would make up for that and more on the offensive end, as I would say probably the greatest point. Um, so what my guess would be, and I'm trying to think, I probably should have it written out, but my guess would be you would put Magic on someone else, um, maybe on a Ray Allen or a Battier or something, and then you would just try and mix and match and try and figure out how to cover LeBron. Because, yes, right. if Magic's guarding LeBron, it's he's scoring 70 points. <laughs> um, so maybe a James Worthy is out there, or, yeah, maybe James Worthy would rotate there, and then you put your worst defenders on Battier and... Uh, Who's the other one that's out there? Well, shoot. Ray Allen or... Ray Allen, then Wade's out there as well. Yes. That's a tough matchup. What yeah. would you do? Well... <laughs> if you want to take... You want to be Pat Riley for a second. To me, I think Michael Cooper would do the best job on Wade, again, because he wouldn't be overpowered like he would against LeBron. I think he legitimately would be a stifle to Dwayne Wade yeah. with his length and his quickness. Uh, so I would try to take Wade a little bit out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Yeah, with uh, with Magic, I would put him on a guy like um, Ray Allen, a guy that's yeah. going to stand and basically shoot and trust that Magic's defensive intelligence, his defensive IQ, right. uh, will he'll be in the right positions. Exactly. Uh, and then after that, though, you've got um, you know you've got Kareem on Chris Bosh uh, and. Uh, you could also potentially, um, you know, be a little bit more experimental and put Kareem on like a Shane Battier mm. because Chris Bosh was more their primary pick and roll player. So take them a little bit out of their comfort zone uh, with a guy like Battier who is mostly a spot up shooter. Yeah. Uh, and you're probably more comfortable with him shooting than you are with Bosh. Right. Uh, even though Battier, I think, became a pretty darn good corner three-point shooter. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're guarding Battier in the corners, that's a le- little easier if you're Kareem to get to the hoop and protect the rim as opposed to guarding Bosch, who's taking wing threes. Right. You know, um, but 
when it comes down to it, there's not really a great option for LeBron. And I think that would be the, the, uh, you know, the deciding factor in the series, you know, who can defend the other star offensive player better? Can the heat somehow slow Kareem down enough by doubling and throwing different looks at him Yeah. versus can the Lakers do enough to, um, you know, throw off LeBron with different defensive strategies. It, it would be, uh, you know, it would definitely be an offensive series. And, yeah. uh, but the key defensive strategies, I think, would make the difference in who would win. I think you're right. And it would be, I, I, as soon as you brought this up, I got so excited in, in my mind thinking about this matchup of, of LeBron and Magic because, um, to bring it back to the Bulls again, uh, the 91 finals was very interesting because you see that matchup of, you know, who's going to guard Jordan and who's going to guard Magic. And initially Jordan was guarding Magic um, and, you know, was OK at it, but got in foul trouble immediately. Like they Lakers were smart about it and they're like, OK, let's get him in foul trouble, get him out of the game. And then you end up with a horrible matchup of Michael Jordan guarding Vlade Divac for <laughs> most of the series. Yes. Um, but what they did to counter was they put Scottie Pippen on Magic Johnson, um, who did a, a really good job. He didn't shut down Magic, I don't think, in any, any capacity, but he was able to put some speed bumps in there and was someone who could physically stand up against you know a 6'9" you know, amazing point guard in Magic Johnson. Right. The thing with LeBron, he's bigger, he's stronger, so it's not even a question. He's going to be able to to withstand any, you know, physicality that Magic's going to, you know, lay into him. Right. I, I think Magic, skill-wise, he's still going to be making plays, but I think that is enough of an edge where LeBron's, on the offensive side, going to dominate against whoever he's against. So mm-hmm. if you're slowing down Magic at all, and these are their best offensive weapons, right? I think unless Kareem's out there scoring like 30, 40 points every game, I don't think you've really got much of an answer for him. Right. Um, the, the, the thing that favors the Lakers a little bit, in my opinion, is, uh, you know, they are unique in terms of those... You know, those older teams, those 70s and 80s, not even 90s teams that uh, they offensively, I feel like, translate really well to today's game. Hmm. Because you've got James Worthy played a lot of power forward. He's a guy that, you know, really is more of a small forward that, you know, played down to the power forward position. But he can handle the basketball. He can post up. He can drive and finish. He had a bunch of amazing... uh, (laughs) posterizations over the course of his career. Uh, But then you've also got the likes of Magic, Byron, Scott, and Cooper who can all shoot the basketball. Yeah. You know, so you've got for a team in the 80s, they really had a lot of of spacing on the floor and a lot of offensive versatility so that if you did double Kareem, which a lot of teams were forced to, uh, they had a lot of counters to that. Yeah. Man. It'd be really cool to see these matchups. Yes, it would. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we'll never get it, which is why uh, it's it's still f- kind of fun to talk about it. Um, you know, just talking about some other teams, uh, I think it's interesting to talk about. These teams wouldn't really be in the category of greatest teams ever, but I think a mm. subcategory of greatest teams that had just one star player 
uh, is an interesting uh, sort of mini-discussion. Uh, you, you'd look at the most recent example would be the 2011 Dallas Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki, where you've got a seven-foot uh, power forward that um, they throw the ball to him on the elbow, and he shoots right over his defender and is extremely efficient at that shot. And if you double him, uh, he's in a in the middle of the floor where he can see all yeah. four of his other players, uh, other teammates, to make a pass for a three or a pass for a dunk. Uh, so that team was really great, and you had veteran presences of like Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, Tyson Chandler. Yeah. That was a really effective basketball team with just a single star. Of course, going back to the you know the you know all the Spurs teams. Uh, you know, with Tim Duncan was really the sole star, and then you had really good complimentary players in Parker and Ginobili. Right. Uh, and obviously great coaching as well from <laughs> Greg Popovich. Oh, yeah. Uh, but those teams were also really fantastic. And those mid-'90s Rockets teams uh, with Hakeem Olajuwon. Those are some of my favorites. Yes, with uh, shooting all around him. Uh, and then uh, I think uh, one of the – not talked about examples. This was it was mentioned in Bill Simmons's book of basketball, the '77 Blazers with Bill Walton. Oh yeah. And Simmons talks about how that was one of the greatest passing teams of all time. Yeah. Bill Walton uh, was. It was one of the few years that he was actually healthy. That in the '86 uh, Celtics team was another year in the NBA he was healthy. Shows how great Bill Walton was. The the two basic years that he was healthy, <laughs> uh, he played on two extremely memorable and long, like uh, you know. Uh, uh, lasting legacy type teams. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, there throughout NBA history, there has been a, a lot of examples. And what makes it fun of you know teams with two or three all stars. You know those super teams we talked about being so dominant. But then also you seeing the team that's built around just a single great player still succeeding. Yeah, um, and and sometimes that that can work out really well where you don't have to have all those people like you. Again, one of my favorites with the mid-90s Rockets, you got Akeem Olajuwon, who's one of the best centers of all time and, and can score against anyone who's against him. But if you double at all from any position, you're surrounded by shooters and, you know, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. And, yeah, that team was able to capitalize on the Michael Jordan retirement years, <laughs> winning a couple of titles in the mid-90s. Uh, and, you know, that's, a, that's another interesting what-if is – uh, you know, those teams peaked at the exact right time, but we never got to see an NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Bulls. And, of course, the Bulls struggled a little bit with, like, those 90s Knicks teams with Patrick Ewing. Yeah. And Akeem Olajuwon was significantly better, I think, than Patrick Ewing was. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, that matchup-wise, that would have been a challenge and probably a competitive and fun series. For sure. Yeah, the I think one of the huge weak points of that uh, those Bulls teams, of the few weak points that they have, let's yeah. get it straight, they're one of the best teams. But at the center position, anytime they went up against a, a great center, they struggled. Right. They just did not have an answer for it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been fun chatting with you, uh, and uh, we'll be posting some more episodes here in the near future. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Duncan Dynasty. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.